Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, A.J. Hogue, where A.J.'s more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's A.J. with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. I'm A.J. Hogue, author of Effortless English. Learn to speak English like a native. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Going to jump right in. We have an interview today, and I don't want to keep our guest waiting. His name, he is Matt from MIA. MIA. MIA means Mass Immersion Approach. Mass Immersion Approach. Immersion means to be completely covered. So it really, it's like, uh, it, if we think of water, is maybe the best way to think of it. If you're covered in water, if you go under the water, right? You're completely under the water. It's covering your covering your head. It's covering everything. You are immersed, right? You are immersed in the water. And the noun is immersion, right? But uh, we use this for language learning too. And immersion means that you are like completely covered in the language. So it, it's, it gives you the idea that like you're just surrounded by the language. So for you all, of course, English, it means it's just English, English, English all the time that everywhere you go all the time, every minute, English, English, English. That's immersion. So mass gives the idea of a huge amount. Immersion, approach. This gives you an idea, <laughs> a little bit of an idea of, uh, uh, you know, his how he goes about learning languages. And I'll put his website on the screen in a minute. I'm going to give a quick introduction to him, but he's going to talk about his story a little more. But basically, uh, Matt learned to speak Japanese at a very, very, very high level using this approach, this mass immersion approach. He is American, so obviously he doesn't speak Japanese, and he learned Japanese as a foreign language in a fairly short time at a very, very high level. And just to give you an idea of how high level, I recently saw an interview he had with Steve Kaufman of Link. Steve Kaufman is fluent in Japanese, and Steve complimented him, told him he had the best Japanese he had ever heard a foreigner speak, a non-Japanese person. So that's a very high praise, you know, very high compliment. So he speaks, he learned Japanese, in other words, at a very, very, very high level, a very, very high level of fluency near native. So let's just, let's not waste any more time. Let's get Matt on the phone because you guys want to listen to him talk today, not me. All right. All right, here we go. Hey, Matt. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, pretty good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm just gonna can, arrange, can you hear me all right? I hear you fine. And just going to arrange things on the screen. Let's see. I'm shrunk. Cool. Right. I think Skype put on the setting where it tries to automatically blur your background. I don't know if you oh, is that what want that on. Oh, is, are they doing that? It's, yeah. it's a little little bit funny looking. Is it funny looking now? On my Oh, I, I'm using a different camera. That's why on mine. So I think I'm okay. Uh, let me. Okay. Yeah, as long as it's not bothering you, I think on the actual oh, video, yeah, yeah, it's going to yeah. look fine. I'm okay. Okay, well, I just gave a very, very brief introduction uh, to you. I'm a big fan of yours, by the way. I am just started learning Japanese. Uh, I'm about, let's see, seven weeks in. Awesome, and, awesome. Yeah, and a very big fan of, of yours and what you're doing. Uh, also, if I'm not, if it looks like I'm looking away from you, I'm looking at the camera. Uh, like, I'm not trying to ignore you. Okay, cool, yeah, yeah. cool. That's why you might be seeing the side of my face. <laughs> um 
I'll try to rearrange it a little bit. But anyway, uh, I found your uh, I found your videos on YouTube first, and I'm gonna actually let me put this stuff on the screen really quickly before you start talking. I'm just gonna put your uh, your website info here so that people cool, can yeah, find you. And so it's uh, let's see. For first of all, YouTube, your YouTube yeah. is so, uh, Matt vs Japan, Matt. right? Yes. Very nice. I like the poster of Ryoma back there, isn't it? Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So, let's see. So, YouTube. I'm just going to put YouTube here. Um, Matt vs. Japan. And we add that to the screen. Good. And then your website is Mass Immersion Approach. Is that correct? Yes. Dot com. Dot, dot, oh, yeah. Right. Dot com. Okay. So, Mass Immersion approach.com on the screen all right enough of that stuff good all right so why don't we just start very briefly just tell your story uh you know kind of your your intro of uh you know there you were and you decided to start learning japanese and you yeah, did yeah. You, you didn't do it in a in a in a small way <laughs> okay okay yeah okay well, let's see well i think i first decided that i was really interested in japan when i was a freshman in high school just because you know i, I started watching anime and i kind of really realized that all my favorite shows when i was a child had come from japan you know pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and dragon ball z and so that naturally sparked my interest and i started getting into it more and uh you know i was doing the traditional stuff of i took a japanese class at my high school and things like that i didn't really make too much progress doing those things and then i came across this website all japanese all the time which was created by this guy named katsumoto and he was really pushing immersion learning hmm. he was pushing this idea that the most important thing if you want to acquire a language is just to spend as much time with that language as possible it's okay if you don't understand everything in fact you might not understand anything at the beginning and that's totally fine and just it's, it's all about the hours you put in. And he also had uh, some other components of his method, such as using smart flashcard system and SRS like Anki, mm -hmm. and also trying to use a monolingual dictionary as soon as possible. And, and all, all other components like on the beginning, really just focus on understanding and then worry about speaking later. And so I really just took that to heart. I was very influenced by the website and I uh, was really inspired by his story because he claims that he reached fluency in Japanese in only 18 months living inside of the United States while he was going to college and had a job. And in hindsight, I think his story was a little bit uh, exaggerated, ah. but you know, <laughs> yeah. I was a I was a pretty naive uh, 16, 17 year old. And so I was like, OK, if this guy can do it, then I'm going to do it, too. Well, what and about some point. people say you can do it in three months? So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think the thing is with three months, you know, we all kind of know nah, that's that's not realistic. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, it's, yeah. We have the intuition. But with 18 months, it's just just quite fully yeah, yeah, realistic yeah, yeah, yeah. enough where, hey, maybe, maybe maybe it does work, you know, and he was so charismatic. You know, he really got me. Yeah. And so I just started doing Japanese as much as I could like watching it all the time, listening to it all the time, reading it. And it just consumed my whole life. And through uh, after I was about six months into going all Japanese all the time, I went to Japan and lived there for six months. And that really helped uh, totally immerse myself in, in the language. And I came back, kept working on it. And 18 months was still, you know, a little bit too short for me. But I would say after about three years of working on it really nonstop, I was at a point that I was pretty happy with. Uh, and that's Japanese. starting at zero, nothing, three years later. Well, I guess if you count that 
initial year and a half period when I was messing around with textbooks and stuff, it would be a little bit longer. But right. and I mean, Katsumoto kind of has has the metaphor of it's kind of like, you know, you became a millionaire, you started off with five bucks in your pocket. Exactly. You know? like, right. <laughs> and I was, I was just mentioning in the introduction uh, that, you know, I saw your uh, chat with Steve Kaufman and uh, he gave you that very nice compliment saying you had the best Japanese he's ever heard a, a non-Japanese oh, person. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, so. Yeah, that was nice of him. Very nice, very nice. So you, you, it clearly worked what you did. So um, and now, of course, you know, you know, I know, you know, a few things, uh, especially in the beginning. I, I guess in some of your older uh, videos, you know, it was very Japanese focused. But now, with mass immersion approach, you really, it's it's language in general. So that while yes, yep. maybe some things with the kanji is Japanese specific, but let's talk about now, kind of what you found out because you through that experience, obviously, you then have you've kind of uh, modified, you've changed things. You now have your own yeah, method. Yeah. So what did you learn? And, and uh, you know, what are the key principles that you've learned going through that journey that you would now share with others that's part of your system? Yeah, well, I think for me, the biggest insight that, that I think I learned through this language learning process that I see maybe other people not really aware of is this idea of making a distinction between language acquisition and language learning. Mm -hmm. And this is an idea that originally comes from Stephen Krashen, the linguist. And it's, it's kind of this idea that like the way that we know our native language, it's, it's a kind of a, a unique thing. It's, it's different than the way we know math or know history or other things like that, because it, it's entirely intuitive. Mm -hmm. You know, like one example I use on my with videos and things like that a lot is if you're a native English speaker, then you can probably tell that the phrase the big red dog sounds a lot more natural than the phrase the red big dog. Right. Now, there's actually a complicated grammatical rule that explains this. It has to do with the order of adjectives modifying, you know, nouns. But almost no native English speakers actually know this, right? Mm -hmm. Yet we still know which one's more natural just because we have an intuition for it. It feels right. Yeah. And so that's the result of what I would call acquisition. And it's an unconscious process. And then there's also conscious learning, which is what we tend to do in school, which is where you're memorizing grammatical principles and vocabulary. And that can be useful and it has its place. Hmm. But the insight is that it's getting to that point where you have an intuition for language, the language. It doesn't just come from using what you've learned and practicing a lot. It actually mm -hmm. is its own separate kind of unique process. And that really only happens through getting exposure to the language. It's through really understanding messages in your target language that you start to gain that unconscious intuition. Are you familiar with uh, the uh, the Thai language program at uh, uh, AUA in Bangkok? And, uh, yeah, I've yeah. Watched, I watched a, a YouTube series on it on YouTube. It's, it seemed like, yeah, he was definitely on the same page. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Uh, Marvin Brown, Dr. Marvin Brown, yeah. Yeah, it, very interesting. So, okay, so how much of, you know, your time, so for example, when you were doing Japanese or even now, I know you, you uh, have done some Chinese as well, learned, learning mm -hmm. Chinese more recently. Um, you know, like how does it work? Like, you know, in terms of how much of your day is focused on, you know, input, on acquiring yeah, well, versus studying, you know, you know, trying to memorize things and studying things that, uh, more consciously. Yeah, well, the... The way that I kind of think about it is that the, if, the way I try to plan my day as a language learner is say that first there's active time and there's passive time. Mm -hmm. So for me, the active time is time that you're just sitting down and you're solely focusing on the language, whether that's actual study or whether it's just watching a TV show 
but you're giving your full attention to the TV show uh-huh. or reading a book or, or many other things. And then there's passive, which is where, for example, maybe while you're cooking or cleaning or driving, then you're also listening to a podcast in your target language. Mm-hmm. And so that's still very beneficial, but it's not quite as focused as the active time. So first, I just try to say, well, where can I fit more passive time into my day? Because it's kind of like free, right? It's like I'm already going to be cooking and, and eating. And so maybe I can listen to something in Japanese or Chinese while I do that. And uh, maybe I can fit in a few hours of that in the day if I do it like during lunch and dinner and then also maybe while I'm exercising or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then for my actual active time, I think a good guiding uh, kind of rule of thumb is maybe I want to spend one third of that actively listening or watching, mm-hmm. one third reading, and then one third doing actual study. I see. Like using a, a flashcard system to memorize words and things like that. Mm-hmm. And when you're using the, uh, with your flashcard system, where are you getting the words from? So at the, what I recommend people to do at the very beginning, if you're starting off in a new language, I think to build a foundation, it can be good to just get your hands on a frequency list mm-hmm. and memorize the 1,000 most common words in the language. Mm-hmm. Because for Japanese, for example, the 1,000 most common words actually comprise 75% of all words ever spoken or written in, in Japanese. And so just by, it's like very high yield, you know, if you just take some right. time to memorize those. But then after that, I recommend that you find the words that you're going to learn in actual uh, Japanese or immersion or your target language. So, for example, with me in Chinese, I'm still not, not that good at it. There's still tons of words I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I can just go and watch, for example, I watch Chinese uh, dramas on Netflix with Chinese subtitles mm-hmm. and then I can find I look for like a sentence that I know every word but one word and then maybe I'll put that whole sentence into my into Anki and then look up what that unknown word was. Now what if you are, uh, this is just per- a personal question <laughs> so like yeah, totally. for me where I'm like low 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 level Japanese so if I'm watching, uh, like I'm watching anime, I'm watching these little uh, mm-hmm. Conan, you know the detective Conan thing and but like Oh, every sentence I understand, well, many sentences I understand nothing at all, and occasionally, you know, a word pops out, but but I'm not understanding, like, whole sentences. So, what would you be your recommendation? Would you, first of all, do you think that's a waste of time, or, and if not, how not should I all. use it? Okay. Yeah, I think, I know, I think that's a great use of time, and I think the, at the beginning, when you're starting off and you're just surrounded by a sea of language that is totally incomprehensible. Hmm. It's important to kind of shift your your mind frame from instead of worrying about understanding, I'd like to focus on just being able to hear the sounds clearly. Because when you start a new language, it's so fast and there's so many, uh, and, and you're, they, there might be a lot of actual sounds in your target language that doesn't exist in your native language that you might actually, your brain not, not, not might be used to hearing. Mm-hmm. And so just by listening, your brain slowly will figure out the sound system for you. You know, it'll get better at hearing all the vowels and consonants and hearing syllables and then hearing words. And then, you know, sooner or later, words will start popping out at you. Like you mentioned, you, there's some words already popping out. Yeah. And so I would say if you have words popping out at you, that uh, means that you're doing something right. Because oh. if I was going to play Japanese to my mom, she wouldn't be able to pick out a single word. Wow, true. Like maybe konnichiwa. Right. But otherwise, she wouldn't even be able to tell where one word ends and another word begins. And so just by listening at the beginning, it just takes a while for your brain to really just get a hang of the sound system. And that's a total prerequisite for actually understanding sentences, right? Yeah. But and so that what I say is the foundation is just can you hear the sounds? And that is really not something you have to put too much active effort into. It's just the more you listen, the better you, you'll get at hearing the sounds. And then once words start popping out, well, then I would say focus on those words. Maybe 
like let sentence not really worry about sentences in the beginning hmm. but if a word's popping out at you then see if you can look that word up and, and get what it is right that's because, what i'm doing yeah yeah that's good because a lot of times like you know there's that rule in advertising i think it's called the rule of seven right oh, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, yeah, uh yeah, yeah. yeah it's th- this it's idea seven that if, repetitions to yeah exactly you gotta like show consumers a commercial seven times before it'll really register in in their brain and so i would say that if a word's popping out at you that probably means that actually your brain's heard that word many many times Mm -hmm. and because you've heard it many times that's why it's actually popping out to you consciously and first of all that means it's a common word because it's showing up many times which means it's going to be worth learning and second of all your brain's just your brain's already primed to learn it in a way that's why it popped out at you and so i think a lot of times if you just look that word up it'll kind of stick and then you'll keep noticing that word in the future and so the memory will re- will get automatically reinforced without you having to put in too much work so i would say that's a good thing to be doing whenever you're just spending time in the language because then you're kind of simultaneously getting better at parsing the sound system and you're slowly building your vocabulary and picking up words and then i would say probably you're probably uh, underestimating your ability a little bit because I would wager that if you were really paying attention, there would be a sentence every once in a while that you could understand mm. or maybe almost Little understand. phrases, yeah, little. Yeah. Little, those little, so little I, kind of set phrases that get used a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of people, they kind of discount that of like, oh, well, that's easy, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, true. Of course I understand that. But I think, hey, that's a big deal because anytime you're watching something real in Japanese, like a Japanese cartoon meant for real Japanese kids who are already fluent, mm. that was not dumbed down in any way, any little bit you understand, that's cool. Yeah, true. And that's something that you wouldn't have been able to do if you didn't start studying the language. And so I think it's important to just give yourself credit for what you are capable to do because it's so easy to just focus on what you can't do yet, right? And then Indeed. feel kind of bummed out. Well, and you know, and and uh, so so my audience, they're, they're English learners and they are uh, uh, intermediate, I would say. So that, that might be anywhere ranging from low intermediate to, to high intermediate, you know, where they're really getting, uh, uh, they are certainly at a basic level of fluency already, but they have these kind of, you know, very, but, but we have the same problem because I, I can tell, like, even just someone's typing me comments, I can tell, like, wow, this person's really good. And yet, what do they focus on? Oh, I'm still not... I'm still not native. I'm still, I can't speak this as well as you, AJ, that, who was born in the United States, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so it's a really, it's a really tricky balance because on one hand, it's, I think a little bit of that is good because it keeps you motivated, right? It keeps, yeah. it, it stops you from being complacent and always help, helps, you know, gets you going to the next level. But at the same time, if you get too stuck in that, then you're just always going to feel bad about yourself and you're never going to enjoy what you do have. So it's all about finding the right balance, I think. Indeed. Now, what would you recommend for, you know, so you, you mentioned Stephen Krashen and of course he's got the whole I plus one, right? This idea that the mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the perfect uh, input is just a little bit above your level, which in practice is can be very hard to find. Um, uh, but, you know, y- y- I know you have, you've maybe got a quite different idea about this because as you said, like I'm, what I'm watching yeah. now in Japanese is way beyond that. And uh, I know that you also just jumped in very early into full on native level yes. content. So what's your, how do you feel about that? What, and what, what do you, you know, what, how, I mean, how do you I, use I, that content and how is it valuable? Sorry. Yeah, like I think that in a vacuum, of course, if we could, have an endless supply of this perfectly I plus one content that was just, you know, tailored to your current level, whatever level you're at this day, mm. it's made for, for that level so that you can learn as optimally as possible. If there was some like artificial intelligence that could instantly create TV shows for an individual, then yeah, that would probably be the best thing to do. 
But the reality is that we don't have that option. And so a lot of times we're left with this choice of spend lots of time searching for content that's ideal. A lot of time that's not actually going to be interesting to us. Mm. Or we can kind of just put less emphasis on that and focus more on finding content that's engaging to us, even if we don't understand that much. And I would say that, I mean, it might be a learning styles thing, but I know that I would definitely prefer that second option. And that's what I've had a lot of success with. Mm -hmm. And so basically, I would pay some attention to my level, right? Like, for example, I really liked anime uh, when I was learning Japanese. And so, you know, there's a lot of different genres of anime. There's kind of slice of life, more realistic fiction anime. There's romance anime. There's comedy anime. There's also like fantasy and mm -hmm. like sci-fi anime. Yeah. And so very early on, I realized like, okay, there's fantasy stuff, the sci-fi stuff is much more difficult to understand than the realistic fiction stuff. Ah, and so I mostly would try to focus on the realistic fiction stuff because it was more accessible. But there was still lots of, it, lots of it that I didn't understand at all. Like every episode, maybe I would only understand, you know, bits and pieces of it. But what I, what I found is that uh, if I, well, first of all, there's a lot of different ways to kind of boost your comprehension, such as if you're going to watch a movie, then you can read an English, like if you're whirling Japanese, for example, you can watch an English, you can go to Wikipedia and read an English summary of the movie before you watch it. Mm -hmm. And that will give you an idea of roughly what's going on. Or even on Netflix, if you're watching your tar uh, TV show in your target language, every episode has a little one paragraph kind of summary built into to the Netflix thing. So you can read that. That can help as well. And um, also, I think uh, to a certain point, it's useful to kind of become more tolerant of ambiguity and kind of just uh -huh. put yourself back in the position of a child. And yeah, maybe you don't you don't you miss a few plot points here and there. You know, it's not going to be the end of the world. I know it's very difficult for adults to adopt this mindset because in a way we're addicted to feeling yeah, yeah. in control and, and like we know what's going on. But I think that's a component of it, too. And the other component is that I think that it's useful to augment your just raw immersion with active study with the SRS. And so if you yeah. use An Anki, for example, you can very efficiently m memorize vocabulary in your target language. So like, for example, it's pretty sustainable to learn 10 words every day with Anki mm -hmm. if you have like half an hour to 45 minutes to, to put towards that. And so now you're loading up in your brain what I like to call mental dictionary entries for all these different words. You're letting your brain know that these words exist mm -hmm. and you're kind of learning what they mean. And so now, although that alone isn't going to be enough to acquire them to the point where you can understand them intuitively and use them yourself, it will help you notice them in your immersion and it will make your immersion a little bit more comprehensible. So I'd say that it's it's really using the SRS, the leverage you can get with the SRS is what allows us to jump into native material from the beginning and still learn pretty efficiently. And just to, just to quickly explain, SRS, Space Repetition System, and Anki, I think yeah. a lot of people use Anki as, as the really the... the yeah, yeah, basically this, the, an idea of a, a flashcard system where in general you make your own flashcards and then the program has a scheduling algorithm that it can use to predict when you're going to forget each of the flashcards that you make using feedback that you give it. And then it can show you all your cards before you forget them and help you maintain your memories. So I'd say that it's a real game changer when it comes to language learning. I've let, you know, I, I always used to kind of like, ah, okay, I don't want to do it. Uh, and I started doing uh, the, for the kanji because I also avoided, mm -hmm. I always had in my mind, oh, I'm, not, I'm just going to not learn kanji. I'll, <laughs> I'll figure out a way to do it. And then, you know, you actually, your videos convinced me. It changed my mind. I got uh, the Remembering the Kanji book and I started, I've been doing the uh, Anki, your deck that you made, the lazy kanji. And yeah, it does. It works. It works really well. I've been shocked how, I'm like, oh, I'm starting to like it, really enjoy it. 
Um, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. It, it really just seems that some people just really like the SRS. Like I was always a big fan. Some people just really don't like it. And it seems to be just a kind of learning styles thing. And so in a way, I feel bad for the people that don't like it because it works so well. Yeah. And so you're, I, I know a lot of people, like some of, some of my followers who are put in this really tricky situation of, I know the SRS works, but I hate it. So do I use it and suffer through hating <laughs> it or do I not use it and suffer through not getting the benefits of it? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I get, you know, I think that, yeah, and maybe the answer is just in the middle is just to adjust the time because I know some days I'll just be like, uh, you know, Anki, I don't want to do it. So I'll, I'll just, all right, well, I'll just do, go fast, you know, and, and I'll just do kind of, uh, just kanji only. I won't even try to do any of the vocab or anything that I've, uh, and then yeah, other days yeah. I'll be like into it. Uh, and in fact, maybe you could talk about that too. Um, I've got about a thousand questions for you. So, uh, try to stop jumping around well actually let's let's just let's stay a little focused first um just about your overall system let's say someone has um you know you call it mass immersion approach so obviously mm-hmm. i get, you are encouraging people to do as much as possible right i mean you, you were influenced by ajat so in your opinion if someone can do it like what's how much should they do a day like someone's learning english they want to make a big improvement how many hours a day well, you know, this is the thing because I definitely was very influenced by AJAT mm-hmm. and AJAT definitely has the mindset of as much as possible. Yeah. But through, you know, talking to a, a lot of other different different people learning languages who are in different positions in life and also talking a lot with Yoga, who is the co- another co-founder of MIA. MIA Mass Immersion Approach is something that uh, my friend Yoga and I started together. Mm-hmm. We kind of realized that maybe that's not such a good thing to just be unconditionally telling people to do as much as possible mm. because really the thing our belief is no matter how much you do a day if you're going to be language learning immersion learning is the best way to go about it because that's where true results come from is from spending time with the language and so you know i don't really want to give off the vibe of oh if you're not willing to dedicate your entire life to this then you might as well just give up because that's you know definitely not the message i want to give the message i want to give is no matter how much time you're willing to allocate to it, I think that you you should do that and you should use the, the best methods available. But I also want to just encourage people to, you know, really consider the possibility of over time really just dedicating a, a, a lot of their life to this because that's where the real benefits come from. And I really want people to experience the true benefits of what, what can happen in just a few years if you really make your life kind of revolve around this thing. And so, when you I were doing that, a, a challenge, mm-hmm. just a sorry, we're doing a oh, yeah, challenge yeah. right now where we're all, we're just logging reading and listening time and trying to. And I think a common, even myself, I found that just by doing that, like I've suddenly found, oh, I've got a few other few extra hours a day than I thought I did. Um, so sorry, yeah, totally. Yeah, and and I mean, I do think that if if you really want to make this happen, there are a lot of hours in the day, especially like I said, if you start taking advantage of passive immersion mm-hmm. and filling in all the cracks in your day, right? Like mm-hmm. even simple things like for me, I have um, I'm not wearing it right now. I have a, an Apple Watch that can also function as an MP3 player, and I have these wireless headphones that I just hang at the bottom of my desk. So every time I get up to pee, I'll just pop these in and just listen for like. 40 seconds I'll listen to Chinese and you know that that can add up if you do that a few times a day every day for for you know months and years and so yeah I do think there's a there's a lot more time in the day um and, but the, the other thing to consider is that 
the speed at which you're going to progress in language learning has a lot to do with the relationship between your native language and your target language. Yeah. So, for example, if you're a native English speaker and you're learning Spanish, you can reach a high level of fluency in probably like a third or maybe even a fourth of the time it would take you to reach that same level in Japanese if you're a native English speaker. Yeah. And that's just because Spanish and English have a lot of similarities. So you're kind of traveling less distance to get, get to the goal. Mm. And so that's another thing to take into account is that if you're learning a language that's from the same language family as your native language or another, la if you're learning a third language, then, you know, if the, you're learning a language that's from a, a language family that you of a language you already know, then you can probably put in two or three hours a day. And if you're consistent about that, make great progress. And in a year or two, reach a, a really high level of fluency. Yeah. But if we're talking about learning probably Japanese or Chinese as a native English speaker, that's much more difficult. And so I would say, or if you want to reach fluency, right? Japanese is oh, yeah, totally, learning English. Totally. Yeah. Uh -huh. Exactly. Yeah. As, it might even be more difficult the other way. <laughs> and so, yeah, if you're, if you're traveling that much distance linguistically, then I would say you probably want to try to get like, but if, if you're going to really want to reach a high level of fluency in just two or three years, I'd say that takes like five plus hours a day uh -huh. with active immersion and then maybe additional passive uh, immersion. And so if you're living in the country, then that's pretty feasible, right? Mm -hmm. Like, for example, if uh, a Japanese person moved to the United States and they're working in the United States, then I would say, yeah, that's pretty, it might sound like a lot of time, like five, six hours plus. But if you're living in the country, that's that's pretty doable. If not, then you really have to make some sacrifices, I would say. Yeah. And that's kind of what I did. And it worked out well for me, but it doesn't necessarily work out well for everyone. So it's just something you got to really weigh the the, the pros and cons for, for your life. And regardless of how many hours, I mean, you're the, the, you know, basically what you said, right? Like your system of what a one third listening, one third reading, one third review. Uh, I mean, so that's would you would you recommend that? Doesn't matter if you're, if that's one hour a day yeah, or exactly. twelve hours a day, that, right? That's the nice thing about it is that it kind of scales nicely. And in fact, I, what I would say is that I don't think you should ever spend more than two hours a day doing like study, study, like mm -hmm. flashcard uh. kind of study, just because you'll go insane. Right, and I think brain. that's kind of all, all the human brain can take as a maximum. And so <laughs> yeah. I'd say once, you know, once you're pushing six hours plus, then I would say don't scale past two hours on the actual study. Instead, just expand your immersion time. Uh, okay. But, um, but until you get up to that point, I would say, yeah, that, that one, you know, the one third, one third, one third will scale at, at any size. So that's the nice thing about it. Great. Great. So listening, reading, review. There you go, guys. That's easy. Um, Couple, oh, a couple more things. Uh, one, uh, I, I don't want. I want to get to the. Do you have? Do you have time? It's okay. You're not, oh yeah, totally. totally. Okay. Okay. okay I'm all day. Because I know that people, the comments are going to be asking lots of questions. But um, what are your feelings about? I, I call it deep versus wide learning. I think uh, uh, Steve Kaufman calls it like repetition versus novelty. But the idea of of like you know, it's like sometimes I find just naturally that I. I don't know why, but I want to just listen to some audios, like say some easy Japanese audios that I know pretty well. And I want to, and I'll just, you know, maybe I, I log a lot of repetitions of that. And then other times I get, I'm like, oh, I can't listen to that again, you know? And then I want to just jump to something uh, kind of what I call wide, which is just something new. Like that's when I'll watch a, another anime, a new anime episode. Um, so what, what are your feelings or, or your thoughts about that of, of, you know, getting a lot of repetition of say one kind of uh you know or one group of maybe easier uh, audios versus yeah, yeah. reading widely listening widely and how do you balance that yeah 
I would say that I think repetition is definitely valuable, but from what I've seen, I think some people value it a little bit more than I would. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of because in a way, you know, if, like I said, the 1000 most common words in Japanese makes up 70% of all Japanese. Mm. And so in a way you could be listening to a different uh, audio clip every single time and you're still getting repetition because it's the same language. It's the same words and the same grammar. So the repetition is kind of built in. And the other thing about that is if you listen to the same audio clip five times, of course, you're going to understand it much more on the fifth run than on the first run. Yeah. And so I think because of that, subjectively, it can feel very useful and productive. But it's hard to tell whether that kind of comfort that you built up on that one audio clip is really going to transfer out to language you haven't heard before. Because in a way, you might just be practicing with this one audio clip instead of just practicing the ability to understand Japanese you've never heard before in a way. Interesting. And so I don't think that that's not to say there's no benefits of repetition. I definitely think there are. But I think you got to be wary of this sense that, oh, it feels so productive to just do one thing 10 times uh, because then you understand it so well on the 10th try. I also think some of that of uh, that addiction to understanding that all adults, including myself, have mm. kind of creeps in. And we uh, just feel like, oh, I, I don't want to move on because I haven't mastered this thing yet. Uh, right. Where in, in reality, it's better to be like a child who's not concerned about mastery. It's just, you know, just just keep on trying and you'll, you'll get there eventually. It doesn't matter if you are failing at the beginning. So you definitely stress so, more of the, the quote wide, you know, go really just keep pushing yourself into new content more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say the, the benefit with repetition is that uh, every time you listen to something, you're going to notice more. Mm. And so I think noticing is a really important component of a language acquisition because basically that that's the difference between uh, someone who's very good at a language and someone who's native level at a language is that there's just little tiny things are here and there that that they don't that the person who's very good but not native is missing right whether it's mm-hmm. the way that natives slur their words together or how there are there are two synonyms that might be actually slightly different in usage or just all these little things and so I think that's part of the benefit of repetition uh, but that's kind of something that becomes more relevant when you're more advanced and really focusing on speaking more. Whereas, you know, in the beginning, I emphasize just trying to understand. And so I think there's benefits of un- that come from repetition for understanding as well, just because, uh, you know, it helps you notice, just notice more words that maybe you've learned and when, it, during your study time, but you haven't actually learned to pick out from native speech and things like that. Mm-hmm. But one me- method that I always use to help balance the, what I would call, or basically the repetition versus always doing new stuff mm-hmm. is kind of just applying that distinction of active versus passive that I talked about earlier. Ah, where for me, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so for me, whenever I'm doing active stuff, I almost never do repetition because it's too boring, right? Yeah. It's like if I, when I'm, what I call active immersion, it means I'm sitting down and I'm either watch, reading, watching, listening. I'm not multitasking, right? I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not like scrolling through Twitter at the same time. I'm just paying attention to the language. And so in order to really have my attention be uh, focused during that type of active immersion, it has to be something new and fresh, right? Mm-hmm. It's too boring if it's something I've seen before. On the other hand, when I'm doing passive immersion where I'm listening to something while I'm cooking or cleaning, then I'm still paying a lot of attention to it, but also I'm using my mind to do something else, right? I am multitasking. Mm-hmm. And so I have a lower quality of attention. 
attention. And so I think that's the perfect time to listen to something you've already seen actively. Yeah. Because that way, even if you know you you stop paying attention for a few seconds while you focus on your your other task, you can go back and you're not lost, right? Because right, you've right, 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 consumed right. the content before. And also, since you're paying less attention, it's easier to just listen to the same thing over and over without getting sick of it. You know, it's <laughs> kind of like how you can listen to to a song you like over and over, mm. uh, and, and you don't get sick of it. And so, what I always used to do was, uh, you know, watch, you know, every week I would take all the things that I actively consumed the previous week and I put them on my, on my phone or my MP3 player. And then I listened to that as background immersion while I did other stuff. And that just kind of gave me an automatic balance of repetition versus new stuff. Nice. Great. All right. Let's go to, uh, our comments because let's see what everyone else says. Oh, okay. Well, here's interesting. Alexi says, uh, Matt, did, were you, did you read old books and, and things in Japanese or only contemporary materials? Kind of, you know, more modern now, like anime stuff or what kind of mix did yeah, you have I did. Well, at the beginning, I focused on new stuff, on contemporary works, just because, you know, in general, contemporary stuff is going to be easier to read than older stuff because the farther back you go, the more the vocabulary diverges from modern language. Mm. And so, of course, at the beginning, I was just trying to get my footing and I would focus on modern stuff. But I did read uh, a, a good number of novels from famous authors in the last hundred years, like uh, Akutagawa Ryunosuke, Dazai Osamu, Natsume Soseki, uh, Abe Kobo. I read uh, probably like 50 of those kind of old novels. Nice. And my experience was that once I was pretty comfortable with reading contemporary novels, it actually wasn't too difficult to jump into those older ones mm-hmm. uh, because the written language kind of is more stable over time than the, the spoken language. And of course, there was a lot of vocabulary I didn't know. But the nice thing about Japanese is once you get comfortable with the kanji, then you can kind of tell how a new word if that is a word written with kanji, you can tell how it's likely to be read and what it's likely to mean. And so it wasn't too much of a barrier, even though there was words I didn't know. And then also, I also dabbled in classical Japanese. And the interesting thing about classical Japanese is that basically the Japanese language first really got established as a written language about a thousand years ago in the Heian period. Hmm. And at the time, they wrote in a manner that reflected the way that they spoke. But throughout the the centuries, you know, the spoken language continued to change and evolve like spoken language does. But they kept the written language the same, which meant that as time went on, the spoken language started to diverge from the written language more and more and more to the point where uh, just around like 250 years ago, uh, before they reformed the written language, the written language was an entirely different language than the spoken language. It was like if you wanted to learn how, yeah, the grammar and the vocabulary were completely different. And so if you wanted to learn how to read... And write, you had to basically learn another language. So that was a big barrier. It also was cool because once you did learn how to read and write, you then had access to a thousand years of, of literature, pretty much. And so that's basically what people refer to when they say classical Japanese. They mean anything that was basically written with the old system of grammar. About 250 years ago, when Japan was modernizing, they reformed the writing system. And it became similar to how it is today, where it's very close to the spoken language. But yeah, I did study classical Japanese grammar. And I read some stuff that was older, but it's extremely difficult because it's it's an entirely different language. So right. it's like with a with a gloss, I could like kind of read it, but not really. Well, it's even you know sometimes people say, well, should I re- uh, read Shakespeare? And it's kind of a similar thing, you know, or they or oh exactly going yeah. back to old, back to old English. I'm like, well, you know, when you're really advanced, but I wouldn't recommend it. You might start with Hemingway, you know, and yeah, exactly. Make, it's, it's exactly like that, yeah. <laughs> right? Make your way to, uh, to eventually to get there, maybe. But obviously, it's very advanced. 
Okay. Let's see. Okay, uh, here's Fernanda says, Hi, AJ and Matt. I used Anki at the beginning of my learning. It was so useful. After, I think reading books increases my vocabulary more and naturally. And Fernanda's quite advanced. So, uh, so what, what are your feeling about that Anki? And uh, does your use of Anki change as you get better and better? Yeah, definitely. And I think that a lot of people are going to grow out of Anki as they get more advanced mm. and have that similar experience of just feeling like reading is a more efficient way of acqu acquiring vocabulary. And so if you feel that way, then I think just trust your intuition on that one is probably true. After all, native speakers didn't use Anki to get to the vocabulary that, that they have. Right. And so I definitely think that's true. Personally, I continued to use Anki uh, even after I got very advanced and I did so because it helped me really nail in vocabulary that all native speakers know but hardly ever comes up in real life like for example the name of names of different types of dinosaurs right like oh, yeah. all native speakers know Tyrannosaurus Rex yeah but it's really hard to pick that up as an adult just just through your immersion and there's so many little things like in Japanese you know the names of different types of fish and the names of different types of flowers and different f foods and there's so many things unique to Japanese culture that all Japanese people know and it kind of just felt like I'm I can't I'm not going to pick this up through reading because when I'm reading if it's a type of fish I kind of just gloss over it it's kind of like oh okay yeah, it's a type fish. of fish yeah, yeah let's yeah. go yeah yeah. And so that's why I wanted to really nail all those things in. And in a sense, you can say, well, was it worth spending all those hours I spent on the flashcards just to get to this point of, of being extremely comfortable with that kind of obscure knowledge? I think for a lot of people would say, no, it's like, I'm okay with not knowing every type of fish, even if native speakers <laughs> do, it's not going to affect my life. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, good point. But for me, I was just a bit of a perfectionist. And so I worked really hard on that. And I found that there were benefits that came from it because now uh, I can really just pick up any book I want off the shelf and read it and be as pretty much just as comfortable as I would be in English. And yeah, so fantastic. I think, yeah, it might depend on the language and your goals and a lot of things. But overall, I'd say if your intuition is that you've grown out of Anki, then just go with that. Well, and it's, you know, and you, you bring up a good point because I know, uh, you know, mentioning the Steve Kaufman uh, chat you had, and I know there you guys had a little bit of a uh, mm -hmm. sense, a little disagreement there <laughs> about things, but but uh, it's that you know you had extremely high standards for what you wanted in Japanese, very high, and maybe everyone doesn't, but you know, like I was saying. Uh, last week on, on my show that that even someone who doesn't like I, I'm not going to go to that level the same as you I because I, I, because I, I don't I don't need it I just know myself but that's I'm not going to but the thing is that that even people who don't want to get to the that quite level and that perf that super high standard can still learn so much from someone like you because because you are a little crazy in that way <laughs> in a good way um you know, you, I mean, you're going to analyze everything. You're going to optimize everything. And that is also useful for someone who's doing two hours a day, you know, because then you're not wasting. Yeah, your totally. Time, right. I mean, that that's actually, I think, an interesting point, because sometimes I feel that as someone who wants to make a language learning approach for learning any language, like the mass immersion approach, I'm really glad that my language of choice was Japanese because that's one of the hardest language languages for an English speaker to learn. Mm -hmm. Because of that, it really forced me to find the most optimal and efficient methods. Whereas if you're learning Spanish or Italian as an English speaker, you can use really bad methods and still get good results <laughs> right. in spite of those bad methods. Because like I talked about earlier, you're traveling a, a short distance linguistically. And so in a way, I'm thankful for that. 
Well, and I would say even if you're learning, let's say an English speaker uh, is learning Spanish or a Spanish speaker is learning English, um, but they only have an hour a day. So again, or two hours a day, let's say. So again, like, you know, if you're going to waste those uh, 90 minutes of those, then you're really going to go slowly, whereas as opposed to getting the squeezing the most you can out of those two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you really use those two hours wisely, then in just 90 minutes a day, you could be fluent in a, in a year or two, or at least at a very proficient level, if it's a, a European language or something. Right, like right. Yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of value there. Okay, let's see. Okay, look, the comments are coming quickly. Okay, uh, I just said, uh, just, Gabriel says, I'm Brazilian, I'm using Duolingo in English in order to learn Spanish. What does he think about this app and about studying two languages at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of Duolingo, to be honest. I think (laughs) it's, you know, I think they probably put more of their budget into marketing than into trying to come up with efficient language learning techniques. Hmm. I mean, it's good if you're just dabbling, right? Like, hey, if maybe you're going to go to uh, like Italy or go to Spain for like a week vacation in a couple of months. So you just want to like spend a few minutes a day learning some phrases or something. Hmm. I think it might be good for that type of stuff. But if you're actually serious about getting to the point where you can have meaningful interactions with other human beings or consume uh, not comfortably consume content in that language, then Duolingo is not going to take you there. It's just mm. not equipped for that at all. And so really, uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, I personally would never use it, but I'd say, okay, I can see it has some applications if you're just dabbling. Mm. And as to learning multiple languages at the same time, I mean, I, again, I would say if you're really serious about eventually reaching a really high comfortable level in a a foreign language, I would say it's going to be a good idea to just focus all your energy on that language or at least learn one language at a time. Mm. Because in a way, the more time that you spend each day on learning a foreign language, the less hours it's going to take total to reach fluency. Ah, And the reason kind of an intensive effect. Yeah, yeah. It kind of multiplies. And the reason for this is that... For example, you know, I, I talk about using the Anki to learn words, but you also end up learning a lot of stuff just through your immersion, right? And so let's say you're watching a, a TV show in your target language and a certain situation comes up where it's easy, really easy for you to infer the meaning of a, a new word. Mm-hmm. And so you make some connection like, oh, this word means that. Mm-hmm. Well, due to the way human memory works, if you don't see that word again within a week, let's say, oh, yeah. then you're going to forget it. Right. And so the more you immerse in that next week, the more likely it's going to be that you come across that word again before you forget it. And so basically, the you know, less forgetting means less relearning. And so the more condensed your exposure is to the language, the quicker it's all going to happen. You kind of just get this, uh, you know, exponential effect. And so if you want to become fluent in two languages, I'd say it's more efficient to get fluent in one and then get fluent in the, in the second one than to try, them do, try to do them both at the same time. And like, for example, in my case, now I'm at a pretty comfortable level of Japanese and I'm working on Chinese. And so I still do Japanese a little bit each day to maintain my Japanese. Hmm. But I feel that now because I'm at such a high level, maintaining it doesn't require that much effort. And so I can put a lot of effort into Chinese and make a lot of fast progress. Where, whereas I feel like if I was trying to learn Japanese and Chinese at the same time all along, it would just constantly be this juggling act where I would never be able to truly focus on one, and I probably would have never made that much progress in either. 
Yeah. And ultimately, I kind of just really think that getting fluent in a foreign language is like installing a new operating system onto your brain. Mm. You know, it's it's not an easy task uh, cognitively, right? It, right? it requires, all, you know, your brain to view the world in an entirely different way. And so I'd say like that already is very difficult. Trying to do that in two different ways at the same time, it just kind of sounds like a recipe for for uh, frustration, in my opinion. But I mean, some people do pull it off if, who have a lot of time every day and are really dedicated. Most of the people that I see pulling it off are people who are polyglots and have already learned like five plus languages. Mm-hmm. And so they already kind of have this language learning thing down. So I would really only recommend you mess around with that if you're someone who considers yourself an expert language learner. And plus he did say he's he's Brazilian learning Spanish, which is probably... True, true. So that he probably has but, a little bit there. But if, still though, right? you're right, yeah. Yeah, it's like if you're a Brazilian learning Spanish, if you dedicated yourself to that, probably in like three months, you could get to a really comfortable level. Uh, so why not just do that first yeah, that's a good point. and then focus on, on English? That's the, I mean, that's what I always tell people too when they say, I say, well, just, you know, focus on your English, get it to where you want it and then, and then go on because, uh, yeah, kind of I mean, I your think time. you're just going to go slower totally. in both languages then. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, th- I think everyone knows deep down that that's the right thing to do. I think it's just a matter of impatience kind of yeah. uh, infiltrating people's rationality a little bit. In my, yeah, I, I had the feeling like after I started jumping into Japanese, I'm like, huh, may I, may I go back to Spanish? This is, it was so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay, now this is a great question. Alexi again. Uh, based on Matt's experience, what level of English can we reach just by learning in our own country without foreigners, without uh, practicing uh, face-to-face or going to the country, any of that? Oh, I think you can reach the highest levels possible without going to, uh, without leaving your country as long as you have access to the internet. That's really all you need. As long as you have access to the internet, it's really completely irrelevant where your body is located physically on the earth. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, first of all, I think the, by far the most important component in language acquisition is input, right? It's listening to the language, reading the language. Because when we're speaking a language, we're using the model of that language that we have inside of our head. So right now I'm speaking English and I'm using a mo- you know, my unconscious brain's model of how English works. Hmm. And so if I say something that's grammatically incorrect, I can tell it's grammatically incorrect intuitively because it clashes with my model of what it means to be grammatically correct, right? Hmm. And so in order to speak like a native speaker does, uh, you have to have a really robust model of what native speech is like. And what it sounds like and how it functions. And the way that you build this model is through getting input, right? Because the way that native speakers speak, it's already set in stone, right? It's it's very particular. And in a lot of ways, it's arbitrary the way that it is. Hmm. And so you can't make it up, right? It's not a creative process. The only way to figure out how native speakers speak is to actually listen to them speak or read what what they've written. And this doesn't involve interaction with another human being it doesn't have to it can Mm -hmm. but as long as you have recordings like audio uh and video and text then that's more than enough and in fact i actually prefer to largely work with recorded material because you can rewind you can pause you can listen to it multiple times and more than anything you don't have to respond to it right like it takes that pressure off Totally. And because when you're talking to someone, even in your native language, right, I think we're all guilty of, you know, not listening as well as we should because we're focused on what we're going to say next. Mm. Right. 
And when you're focused on what you're going to say next, you're not really listening anymore. And listening and observing what, how native speakers speak is the most important component of the process. So I would say it's it's totally, um, it's, it's not really an obstacle at, at all, as, lo- as long as you have the time available and the internet access. Really, the advantage of going to the country would be that probably you're going to have much fewer obligations that involve doing things that aren't in English, right? All right. And so that's really the, the only obstacle. But I largely learned Japanese outside of Japan. Like I spent six months in Japan out of the three years. Mm-hmm. And when I came back from Japan one year into, into learning Japanese hardcore, I still wasn't very good. And today I've reached a level where, not to toot my own horn, but I see a lot of foreign Japanese speakers and they're not at the level that I'm at, even right. though a lot of those people have lived in Japan for 10 years. Yeah. And I haven't even been into Japan in like seven years. So I think just from my own experience, it's really just about you taking the initiative to use the resources at your disposal more than uh, than where you are physically. And the other thing is that a lot of people can go and live in a foreign country and then just create a little bubble where they only interact with other people who speak their native language and they never pick it up. Like I see so many Japanese people in the United States who just make friends with other Japanese people and just live their life in Japanese and they can live here for 10 years and then not pick up the language. So it goes both ways. And it is, and it's such that's such, such great news. I mean, you could yeah, like because uh, people always oh, there's no one in my town that speaks English. I'm like, but you've got you're on you're talking to me right now, you know, exactly. and, and you're and you're listening. You can watch movies, and you've got all of YouTube, and you've got there's just so much, and and you can be in a tiny little village in in the middle of nowhere as long as you have that internet connection. Like you said, you've got the whole world of English or Japanese or whatever. Totally, and that especially is true with English, right? Like in a sense, English I think English, yeah, I think English in, in a sense, it's very difficult to learn because there's so, so many quirks to it. You know, it it's, has so many arbitrary components like the spelling system and pronunciation is difficult and things like that. But in another sense, it's really easy to learn because that is the best content in the world, yeah. right? And it's so abundant yes. and Japanese is pretty good. But I can tell you, it's it's not as as good as as English content in terms of just the quantity of super high quality content. Whereas on the on the other hand, I have a friend who's learning Arabic and he's trying to learn the Egyptian dialect of Arabic, and it's much more difficult because there's very few resources he can get access to on the internet of people speaking Egyptian Arabic. And so for him, maybe it would be more beneficial to be in the country because there's just not that much he can access through the internet. But with English or Japanese or Chinese. Uh, any languages like like those or any any really European language, then I'd say it's the internet is more more than than enough. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Now uh, I kind of missed. There's a good question back here. Where was it? Abraham Ali's got a lot of good questions, but uh, he asked about pronunciation. Um, uh, how did you improve your pronunciation? You know, how do you recommend uh, working on pronunciation? Yeah. So. And when do you? I'd say. In, in the process too sorry yeah yeah so i think in a way pronunciation is in a way the hardest aspect of language learning in the sense that it's the hardest to perfect right like i know a lot of european people who speak english as a second language and when i'm text chatting them i would think they're a native speaker right they can speak they can type grammatically perfect you know colloquial english just as well as i can but if we speak when we, you know if we actually speak i can hear that they have an accent and so, in a way, I feel like my Japanese, too, that's the the only thing holding me back from being completely indistinguishable from a native speaker. And so, in a sense, 
I just want to preface this saying, yeah, it's it's it is difficult. So if you're feeling like it's difficult, you're not uh, <laughs> you're not nothing wrong with you. You're not wrong. Yeah. And uh, w- what I would say is that I think the most important component to pronunciation is actually your perception, because for example, if you think about uh, your experience of listening to a foreigner speak your native language, hmm. it's very easy for you to tell exactly when they mispronounce something, right? And in fact, you can even probably mimic their foreign accent, right? You can you can hear, oh, we don't say that vowel, we say this vowel, right? Or yeah. it, it, it's not this, it's this. And it's this intuition for what it's supposed to sound like that allows you to uh, speak so, you know, so perfect, right? And like, for example, if you find people who lose their hearing later in age or uh, yeah, later in life, sometimes... You can actually notice that their pronunciation starts to deviate from a natural native speaker because they can't actually hear what they're pronouncing and they can't give themselves feedback. Yeah. So I think the key is you have to be able to hear what you're saying and you have to be able to actually tell whether you're pronouncing it correctly or not. Because if you can't give yourself that feedback, then you're not going to be able to get really get very accurate just because pronunciation is such a subtle thing. Mm. And so I'd say in a way you it's a lot of people focus on like, oh, where should I put my tongue in my mouth? Like, how do you make the yeah, th yeah. sound? Let me move my tongue. But I think the most, the more important thing is, can you hear what the th sound is supposed to sound like, uh, or the two uh, different th sounds in English, right? Because if you can tell what it sounds like, then you can tell whether you're nailing it or not. And then it's really just a matter of, of practice, right? And, and until you nail it, it's just like learning how to ride a bike, right? You just do it until you don't fall over it anymore. And so, and on another hand, you could say if you can't tell whether you're falling over or not. You're not going to be able to, to improve. And right. so I would say listening is the key, just listening as much as you possibly can. And that's going to get really largely do most of, of that heavy lifting for you. And then I like to use a technique called shadowing, which is basically oh, yeah. where you just listen to native speech in your target language. And then you repeat it back out in real time, like with a one second delay. And then you just try to mimic as closely as possible. And then you try to hear if there's any deviations between you and the native speaker. And if you have trained your perception so you can hear the the sounds clearly enough, then you should be able to tell whether you're nailing it or not. And then it's really just a matter of practicing the motor skill of figuring out where to where to put your tongue in a way. And another piece of advice I would give is uh, do what I call adopting a parent. And this is where oh, yeah, nice you... Idea. Yeah. Yeah, you find uh, a native speaker of your target language and you try to model the way that you speak English or whatever your target language is after them. And so, for example, with English, right, there's so many different ways to speak English. There's British English, American English, Australian English, and even within the United States, right? People in New York speak completely different than people in California. And even like within my household, my dad speaks a lot differently than my mom right. and I speak differently from my brother. And so there's there's even an idiosyncratic component of, of the way that we pronounce things and the way that we speak. And so... And if you're just trying to speak English like a native speaker, that's extremely vague, right? And so if, you're, if that's the command you're giving to your brain, it might be a little bit confusing and it might not be able to, to be very precise. Whereas if you give your brain the command, like, help me sound like this guy, then uh, now the target you're aiming for is a lot smaller. And that way it's a lot easier to just focus on like imitating a person, right? Like imitating a person is is not that difficult, right? We do it in our native language all the time. We, we will impersonate our friends and stuff. And so I'd say really kind of uh, shrinking down your target is what they'd say in Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that you really know whether you're, you're hitting your target or not. And then you can adjust from that point. It's just going to make things easier. Yeah, so. it's interesting because I give the same advice for public speaking. Because when we talk about like giving speeching, spe- giving speeches, and uh, how do you get better at public speaking? And it's just, and you know I I use the same exact technique. I just pick one 
person and just copied them for a while and it was obvious I was copying them but uh, but I improved so much faster that way instead of just a yeah, vague totally. thing of like oh well I got Steve Jobs and Tony Robbins and all these people and they're completely different and I want to be good right but exactly yeah because in, in a way like native speech is, is just an abstraction right because speech is only performed by human beings and every human being speaks differently on a certain level so so you could just, just choose one um a person like could it be just an actor or or i mean like what yeah where do you, mean, what kind of person would where would you find the person would you recommend to find like i'm going to copy this person okay well for me personally first of all i would make sure that they speak the dialect of of the language that i want to speak like in English, make sure that they choose what accent you actually want to speak like intentionally and then make sure you're finding someone who speaks in that accent or that dialect. And then I would say it's good if you can find someone who has many hours of them speaking in an unscripted manner, which basically ah. just means, you know, an actor is, is performing a script, yeah. right? And so in a way, they're going to be too perfect, right? The way that people speak yeah. in real life is there's lots of ums and buts and you, you're fumbling over your words and you're using fillers. And so you want to learn how to how to actually fail like a native speaker does too, because everyone is going to mess up a lot while they're speaking, including native speakers. And so if you're, for example, you, you're only imitating an actor who only speaks perfectly then you're not going to know how to fumble and how to how to make ah, mistakes like a native speaker. Interesting, yes. And so, yes, yes, yes. like, for example, if there's a podcast series that you like, mm -hmm. and so there's, like, a, over 100 episodes of a podcast series, then that's perfect, right? Right. Or if you have a YouTuber who has a long history of making videos and, and he doesn't use too many edits or jump cuts, then that could be, that could be good, too, so. Excellent, excellent. All right, are uh, you okay? Go, go just a little bit longer, if that's all right. Cool, yeah, totally. You're good? All right. Okay. The, okay, Merrick says, uh, how should shy people speak fluently in a foreign language? They don't say much at all. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question. I haven't really thought too much about that before. Hmm. But what I would say is that, uh, you know, maybe perhaps there is a certain way of being shy in your target language. And so going back to what I said a little bit ago, try to find a parent, if you're going to adopt a parent, try to find someone who's a little bit shy. And then you can see how do shy people conduct themselves and express themselves in your native language. And the other thing I would say is that, in a sense, if you want to get really good at speaking a foreign language, that requires doing a lot of speaking practice. Hmm. And if you don't do a lot of speaking practice because of your shy, because you're shy, I would say that is potentially something that's going to hold you back. But it's not something that you can't overcome if you decide that you want to that you want to overcome that. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of just general personal development and self-help advice about how to become more outgoing mm -hmm. or more assertive or how to get over fears of interacting with other people and stuff. And so in a way, that's kind of the other interesting thing about language learning is that when you really take it to its extremes, it can expand out into all areas of life. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something that I, I used to think about a lot when I was really in my hardcore Japanese phase is that. In a way, if you want to be the best Japanese speaker in the world, you also have to be uh, like have the best social skills in the world as well, mm, right? Because right, you right. can't really separate social skills from speaking, yeah. right? Because the point of speaking is communication, and communication is inherently social. And so, in a way, I, I think it's it can be pretty uh, useful to have an expanded view of what language learning is and having you know, improving your, your social skills as part of that. Because if you think that way, then language learning can be a path to just improving yourself as a, 
as a human being, right? And becoming more a more holistic person. So I would say don't don't let that hold you back if you don't want it to. If you're totally comfortable with being shy, then you know it's not it's not a flaw, and so you don't have to change that. But I would say if the fact that you're asking this question makes me think maybe maybe you would be interested in exploring that more. So I don't know. It's a good point, especially to get into the uh, the advanced levels, because, you know, like uh, just questions I get and, and uh, requests I get, you know, it starts getting into like, well, how do I get it? How do I do uh, job interviews in English and how do I do public speaking? And, and so it like this is really like you said, it's it's blurring the line of are we talking about learning English or we're getting into really topics that, that are and, and skills that are just generally useful for life, just communi- general communication skills that are useful in your own language even. Yeah. And what I would say that you just reminded me of at that point is that a good thing to do is if you're getting to an advanced enough level of English where this is the kind of things that you're concerned about, then buy books in English meant for native speakers about how to overcome shyness or how to deal with shyness better. And just like how, you know, in Japanese, I've bought and read Japanese books on how to have better social skills because then, well, first of all, you're killing two birds with one stone. You're getting better social skills and you're getting better at Japanese. But also you can see well, how do I get better at the Japanese way of being social and about interacting? Because that's different for every culture and every language. And so you want to, like, in in general, like, I tell people how to learn Japanese, but I don't actually teach them Japanese. And I would say, you know, if you want to learn about how to be Japanese, don't listen to me. Go go straight to the source, Mm. right? Buy a book made by a Japanese person about how to be more social in Japanese or or whatever, you know? Yeah, excellent. Nice. Nice, nice. Gabriel's just asked, is Matt a teacher? He says, smart and friendly. I think he would be a very good teacher. Yeah, well, yeah, well talk about what you do. Again, this is, probably, this is a good way to kind of wrap things up. And thanks for the super chat, by the way, to super, to echo. But anyway, um, uh, why don't we talk about, you know, what you're doing? So you don't teach Japanese, like you're not a, you're like doing Japanese yeah, lessons. Yeah. So what, what, what are you doing and kind of, you know, what, uh, with, in terms of Japanese, but in more generally with mass immersion and... and how are you helping people? Yeah. And so, I mean, I think a good way to frame it is that I never had a Japanese teacher, right? I never had uh, a second language or native speaker of Japanese who really helped me, right? In a way, I taught uh, myself Japanese through using the type of techniques that I've been talking about today. And really, it's not that I taught myself Japanese. It's that, you know, Japanese itself taught me in a yeah. way through getting lots of uh, kind of immersion coupled with the different tools that, that I talk about and things. And so basically what I want to do is help other people replicate my process of having the language teach them how it's used, right? And so I don't, I think language teachers can be useful and, and definitely play, play a role in the process, but it's not really what I'm personally interested in. I'm more interested in helping to empower people to take the learning into their own hands and have them uh, create their own learning process and things like that. And so what that actually looks like in reality is that, first of all, I have a YouTube channel where I talk about a lot of the same types of ideas I've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. And I also have a website where I write articles about those things. And also what kind of yoga my uh, you know co-founder and I are want, want to do with the mass immersion approach is really create a kind of holistic approach to acquiring foreign languages that it kind of comes in two parts. One part is the just method, me- the method and the kind of philosophy and and theory about you know what actually leads to language acquisition like what what's the right balance of, of this and that and things like that and then also just actual tools uh, like we're 
so far we've created a few add-ons for Anki that can help with Japanese learning and we have a lot of other ideas of how to improve Anki and maybe make some other types of software. So basically we, like a lot of the language learning software that's out there and there is a lot of good stuff out there but it's kind of stuff, mostly stuff like Duolingo that's designed to actually teach you the language. Well, we want to create tools that help you teach yourself the language yeah. in a way that like basically that that will help you tackle real native content of your choice without any uh, you know having to import it into another program or or anything like like that so fantastic yeah so you kind of i like the word coach i like that because i say the same it's true, true. i think that's coach. a good like a, yeah that could be a good word for a language motivational coach. Yeah. and 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 you know yeah. strategies and things like that but yeah but but everyone else cool independent learners nice okay and so it's massimmersionapproach.com YouTube I guess I should also say I I do offer uh, one-on-one like Skype consultations there's an an offer on my website on uh, on massimmersionapproach.com if you go to the contact me page uh, I normally charge like 60 US dollars an hour just to like not to teach you the English like I said but to basically just yeah language coach help you set up maybe talk you know talk together about uh what kind of like developing a strategy uh, and a plan yeah. and, and mm-hmm. yeah excellent okay great and that's also that's at massimmersionapproach.com and definitely check yeah. out uh uh the matt vs japan on youtube that's the name of the channel matt vs japan Excellent. Matt, so much. Thank you so much. And like I said, oh, yeah, I'm personally pleasure. a fan. I really, uh, I love it. I'm, uh, uh, I love your Patreon question and answers too. Lots of good stuff in there. When I'm like kind of feeling down and like, oh, I can't take it anymore and I'll go and, you know, like, like I said, it's, you, know, you are a coach because I'll get in there and uh, I need it too. It's what I try to do with my students and then I get it from you where I'll go and I'll watch, you know, maybe 20 minutes and like, okay, I can do it. And then back at it again. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me on. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's a, it was a real honor. Thanks so much. And, you know, maybe we'll have you back on again. Um, uh, I like to bring people back because uh, it's hard yeah. to go deep in just one uh, session. So, yeah, I'd love to. Anytime. Okay. okay. Great. Thanks, Matt. Talk to you again. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Excellent. Excellent. All right, guys. So uh, I just want to say thank you for the super chat from Echo. Thank you. Gave $2. Nice for the donation. And for all of you guys, um, you can let me know. Uh, tell me on Gab. Tell me uh, in the comments how much, like, did you understand his English pretty well? You know, uh, I think, you know, he's he's got excellent pronunciation, very clear, speaks very clearly. Um, I'm not sure, though, you know, maybe his vocab level. Uh, sometimes he might have he was using some vocab I'm not sure if you guys understood it so I'm asking because if you need to I if you need me to I can do a follow-up video and go through some parts of this interview and explain some of his vocabulary but he's got some really great ideas about language learning and they work and his overall principles the input you know the input approach uh his influence from stephen krashen i was also highly influenced by stephen krashen for my um, english teaching and coaching as well um so anyway very good very good very impressive can you speak more slowly sound is low okay well a little late on this now (laughs) but uh how to memorize words. So, you know, he he recommends Anki. And I've been using Anki a little bit more. I think 
I kind of agree with him. I find that Anki, especially at the beginning, like what Fernanda says, is useful. And then, you know, as you get more and more advanced, uh, now he liked using Anki even at the advanced levels. I know a lot of people don't. They, they kind of stop using it. But uh, it's basically just a flashcard system, you know, a program. It's free. Anki, A-N-K-I, Anki, is probably the most popular one. It's the one I'm using for Japanese. Gabriel says, I got almost 90% that he talked. Great. Alexi says, everything was nice. Good. All right. I'm just going to scan your comments really quick. And I'll have him back on again. Because I can't, I'm noticing a lot of your questions are for Matt specifically. So, anyway. Anyway, he's very, very impressive. His, his Japanese speaking, uh, you know, I can't judge it exactly, but I, I know Stephen Kaufman was very impressed. I can tell. I can tell enough that he speaks very, very well very well <laughs> in Japanese. So check out his website, massimmersionapproach.com. He's got a nice, he's got some articles on there. Let me put it on the screen really quickly where he gives, this is especially good, I think, guys, for, you know, you all are intermediate level. So I think a lot of you guys already have pretty good idea about these things. But here it is. And he's got like a whole track. You go to table of contents on his website. And he's got stage zero, stage one, stage two. So kind of like, you know, if you're, some of you guys ask me, like, what should a new beginner do that you know somebody in your life who's a beginner of English, total zero level? Well, tell them about, you know, some of these articles here. A few of them are Japanese, specifically for Japanese, but most of them are general for all language learning. All right. Well, I need to go to bed because it is 6 a.m. in here and I've been awake all night. <laughs> so it's time for my, it's my bedtime. Uh, again, good thanks to Matt. I'll try to have Matt on uh, again because I really like his approach. I also want to bring Steve Kaufman back too. So um, anyway, thank you very much, everyone. Good questions as always. And check out Matt on YouTube and on his website. Okay, that's it, guys. I got to go to bed. <laughs> Lots of love to you. I'll see you next time. Bye for now.